Welcome back for another week. Parak Bet. Our learning is dedicated to Lilo Nishmas with Kabbat Yaakov Alevi, Lucy, Maya, Rina T, Rufur Shlemer, Batila Bat, Yabat Chayatova, Bracha Vigaba, Rachel Gita, Yitidi Chayim, Ravid Ripka, Chaya Shalman, Chaya Sara, Shimon, Men Elka, and Shadosim for all those in need. We move to the start of Parak Bet, and we, we find ourselves with five interesting psukim. These psukim should raise a lot of questions, and perhaps you'll have your own questions, but already I've Put several of the questions up on the screen. So what do we have? We have this Malach Hashem who comes up from Gilgal El Habochim. He's going up, which means that wherever Gilgal, we know is the flat plain that is to the east of Yericho, he's going somewhere uphill. And he speaks on behalf of God and says, God is saying, I took you out of Egypt. I brought you to the land that I promised you would get to your forefathers. And I said to you that my covenant with you is eternal. It's an amazing thing for God to say. My covenant with you is eternal, which means that no matter what happens, no matter what you do, I am there with you. And I told you, do not make any treaties. Don't make any agreements. Don't make anything with the people of this land and shatter, destroy their misbechot. You didn't listen to me. What were you thinking? What did you do? That's what God says. I also said to you that if you allow them to stay there, you don't chase them out. I won't chase them out either. And they will be thorns in your side and their gods will be a stumbling block before you. And when the Malach Hashem says what he says, so all the people lift up their voices and they cry. And they call the place Bochim. And they bring a korban to Hashem. So the first question is, why is the angel coming from Gilgal? Gilgal is a place that really should have no significance anymore. We've moved on. Gilgal was maybe the, was the home of the Mishkan. It was the, the, the central station, the base for the Jewish people. They would jump off from Gilgal, do their thing, come back to Gilgal. And then next, and again, and again. But, but they moved on. Everybody has their homes. Reuben, Reuben, God, Chatsi, Shem, Menashe, they went to the other side of the Jordan. Gilgal should basically be a nice place with good memories. But why is Gilgal all of a sudden a place that's becoming central to this story? Next is, where is this place? What is Bochim? Do we know anything about Bochim? Can we find Bochim on a map? There's an amazing website, Hatanach. Uh, and what I think is most amazing about it is that they have maps an amazing map with every place that's mentioned in Tanakh in it. And you can sort it by Perek. Fabulous. Fabulous. And when you go on to, and you go to Perek Bet of Shoftim, what you find is Gilgal, and you find Timnacheres, Timnacherach. Do not find Bochim there at all. Where is Bochim? Third question is, this Malach Hashem. What is a Malach? A Malach could be an angel. It could also be a messenger. We know of Malachim that are messengers. Malachim. Rashi does say Malachim Mamish, but probably they were messengers. They were some of his workers sending a message to Esau. Is this an angel or a messenger? And if it's a messenger, who is it? 
And then the other question is, where, where do we have a similar conversation to this? This is not the first time we've heard something that sounds like this. And the fact that they cry, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Those are some of my questions. So Gilgal, what is Gilgal? Gilgal is a place, and that's an important thing, but a Gilgal is also a wheel. And what we know about a wheel is that it constantly goes around in a circle. And what, what is amazing um, is that if you find yourself at the top of the Gilgal, you just go a few feet and you find yourself at the bottom. I was talking to uh, one of my children's teachers and she br brilliantly said, the advice she gives her children all the time is, if you find yourself at the bottom of the wheel, happens. Remember that A, you're on a wheel. So there is opportunity. It's going to keep going. You will get to the top again. But remember what it feels like when you're at the bottom. And that will help to find who you are and how you act when you get to the top. That is really, really spot on advice. Gilgal is the place that we know, but Gilgal is also a wheel. We are going to see at the end of our Perek that the central theme of Perek that of Shoftim is the idea of Gilgal. We're going to use the word Ma'agal, but really Gilgal, the wheel, is just as much a possibility. This story should sound familiar because Yoshua also has a similar story. Yoshua has Gilgal as a place. Who is this angel? Rashi tells us that there's a possibility that this angel is none other than Pinchas. Shaninu Beseder Olam Zehaya Pinchas. It's Pinchas. Well, Pinchas was also in Sefer, um, Sefer Yoshua. He is, at the very end, he's the one that goes out to Ruben Gan Chatsi Shevim Menashe. And he also is, according to Midrashic sources, he is one of the spies in Yericho. Great with Yosheva Aretz. We know that. That's the theme of Yoshua. Don't make a covenant with the people of the land. And the voice of Hashem, to hear God, to hear God speak. We, we, we've heard that a lot, a lot, a lot. That is the theme at the beginning of Sefer Yoshua. So the interesting way of looking at this, I believe, says Rabbi Michael Hatton, is this time the Gilgal is different. It's a reversal. Whereas in Yoshua, they're in Gilgal and everything is going amazingly well and it's beautiful and everything is going to flow properly from there. Here it's the opposite. We're, we're leaving Gilgal and going to the wheel and things are very, very different. We're about to see the crushing blow that's about to come to the Jews. And this wheel is going to find itself as a central point of not only Perak Bet, but really of the entire Sefer. So where's Habochim? Where's Habochim? So let's take a look at an interesting, uh, an interesting line by uh, Rav Yigal Ariel. He says, Habochim umakom yadua. It's a no well-known place. The people gathered there and they cried. Hmm. It's so well known, I would say, that we don't know where it is because it does not make it into the, uh, the map and you can't find it on any of the major works and maps of Eretz Yisrael. Really, the Mepharshim themselves don't have a good answer as to where it is. One thing we know is the path. He's going up. From Gilgal to Bochim. It is a place up in the mountains. So he says that it makes sense to say that it is in the area of 
Beit El. Beit El is not far from there, and it is up towards the mountains. I'll know that Beit El is a place that is going to find a central place in the story of Pilegesh Begiva. Pilegesh Begiva is a story that we're going to learn at the very end of Sefer Shoftim, another 18 and 19 weeks, 18 and 19 Prakim. Yeah, those are definitely something we're going to learn. But Beit El is there. And he asks, is there something to connect between these cries? If you take a look at the uh, the right side of the screen, by Yakumu Vialu Beit El, they went out to Beit El. This is a huge 400,000 Jewish people go up against a much smaller force from Binyamin. And they go up to Beit El, who should go up? Just like last week. Look how far the Jews have fallen. That's what they're going up for. For a, a, a war, a civil war. Skipping ahead to This is after they lose. They, they're routed. They can't believe it. They cry before Hashem. They're crying. And then in They ask the question to Pinchas, what shall we do? Should we continue or not? Or Pinchas rather asks the question. We find ourselves in an interesting place. There's crying. It makes sense. It's right there. It is a famous place. It does connect. Question really becomes, what in the world are we supposed to do with this? Jewish people, Beitel, Bochim, the end of the story. Perhaps the message of the story is that the end, where the Jews fall to, and it's a really bad place when we get to the end of Sefer Shoftim, it was already evident in Perek Bet that they were going to come. The Bochim, the crying that we saw, it is uh, reminiscent of what, what's to come. And so we, we, we have to really ask ourselves question number five one more time. Is their reaction a good one or a bad one? The fact that they cry, is that good or is it bad? On the one hand, it's great that they're crying. Crying is a deep, deep um, yearning of the soul for something different, for something better. But sometimes crying is empty. I'm crying because I'm hurt. An animal that's wounded cries. There's nothing deep in that other than the pain and the suffering. B'nai Saul were in Mitzrayim, and what happens? They cry out to Hashem. Is it tshuva? Probably not. Is it tefila? Some sort of very base level of tefila. But, but there's nothing transformational happening when I'm crying. Why is this angel messenger Pinchas? So a couple of possibilities. First off, the Jewish people are in a position where perhaps they really need a Pinchas. They need a zealous person who's going to really give them a, a clap, a zet, so something to get them going. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that Pinchas sees that what the Jewish people need now is an opportunity to unite, to bring themselves together. And so he says, I could do this. I'm one that saw the hafrada, the disunity, that was emanating from the story of, Pen, of uh, Zimri and Cosby. And I did something that brought the Jewish people back together. I was able to do by Reuben and God. 
I could do it here as well. That's another possibility. The third possibility is that Pinchas is one of the spies from Yericho. He is truly passionate. He loves the land of Israel. And therefore, he is a great person to send about right now. But perhaps there is one last answer. And this, by Rav Yigal Ariel, I think is maybe the best answer of all. Pinchas loya dabran. He wasn't a speaker. More than a speaker, he was a doer. His, his big thing is that he moves, he goes, he goes to the next place. That is perhaps the most significant piece of, of Pinchas's personality. He is a doer. And they kind of needed someone that was going to do something, not just give them a speech. And so perhaps that was what was going on right here. Okay, let's let's move ahead. We've got a, a bit to do here. So Pasuk, Pasuk, um, Pasuk Vav. Vayishalach Yehoshua ta'amil chubnei yisal ish l'anachal atol l'reshet baritz. And they go home. We have Pasuk Vav to Yod. It's optimistic. It sounds nice. What are they doing? They're going home. It's beautiful. All the people are going back to their tents. They're following Yeshua's orders. Amazing things are going on. They, 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 they kept the Torah in the times of this kingdom. They kept the Torah all the days after Yeshua. The optimistic. Sounds nice. It's the last optimistic note in the entire book. So this, this is clearly not meant to be here. In Muktam Uchar Torah, says Rashi, says the others. The Abayar Benel says, Why is this here? We're about to find out that they did bad. Before we find out that they did bad, let's, rem- let's be reminded, let's remember that they actually did good things also. We're told that we, we go back in time to Yeshua to say there was this period. This period was amazing. Everything was great. And it all came crashing down. Yeshua dies. He's the Ebed Hashem. Amazing. Crowning achievements with Ebed Hashem, like, much like Moshe. 110 years old. He is buried in his uh, ancestral land, which is in Harifrain, to the north of Harifrain. Now, for those of you that really have amazing uh, memories and are so careful about reading every apostle and remembering every apostle, you'll remember that he actually was not buried in Timnat Cheres. He was buried in Timnat Serach. That is the name of the piece of property that he wanted, that he asked the Jewish people for. And it is in Parachav Dalit, the very end of Sefer Yeshua, it is where he's buried. Why is it called Timnat Cheres here? Rashi says the following. They put a Cheres, um, a, uh, a piece of pottery, a, potter, a, a picture of pottery on his kever, Kilomar, to say, Adam. Can you believe it? How could it be that a man was able to stop the sun without the kevin? Someone that was able to do that, we buried in the kevin. 
That's Rashi's take on it. And I and I kind of wondered, Barbino quotes Chazal also saying it. And I really wondered, like, what exactly are we supposed to make of that? How are we supposed to understand that? And I thought perhaps that this is where the depression sets in. The Jewish people, Johnny Raincloud, the Jewish people sit there and say, we just can't do it. How are we going to be able to manage it? The Jewish people had Yoshua as a leader. Yoshua is able to stop the sun. Moshe Rabbeinu before was able to do all these amazing miracles. How are we going to replace that? We can't do it. We can't continue on. Maybe that's why they give up. Now, interestingly, he's buried by Tinacheres and Harifrayim, which is by Har Gaash. So the Medrash says, if you look around, you're not going to find a Har Gaash anywhere in the Torah. Nowhere. Nowhere at all. What does it mean? So they say that, the Medrash says, that they didn't do a chesed by Yoshua. Not sure what that means. What does that mean? They bury him. He's buried by people. Not, not just nobody. He's buried by people. So they didn't do a chesed by Yoshua. So Hashem wanted to destroy them by an earthquake. Gaash is the, the shattering, the shaking. That's har gaash, an earthquake. What does that mean? So I thought perhaps you could suggest the following. What is it that a leader wants? A leader wants to know that when they pass on, when they move on to the next world, they want to be able to look and say, I left a legacy. What's my legacy? Jewish legacy isn't buildings. Those buildings often are, don't make it to two, three generations down. What, what is the legacy that Yoshua wanted to leave? Yoshua wanted to leave the legacy that Cloud Yisrael followed his example. He did what he wanted them to do. He did mitzvot. They followed the word of God. That's what he wanted. What's the lack of chesed? The lack of chesed is, I don't do that. It is just a short amount of time before the Jewish people completely abandoned Yoshua and his ways. Pasuk They worship idols. Now, we're going to do a very quick uh, understanding of uh, idols. Because I, I think it matters. They, they followed, they forsake, forsook God, the God that took them out of Egypt, and they went after other gods from the nations that were by them. They thought, it's a big deal, we're leaving the non-Jews here. No, but by leaving the people there, what ends up happening? The nations of the world, the pagans that they're living among, they allow them, they bring in, they introduce these foreign gods into the Jewish religion. They follow them. Okay. And they, they, they abandon God and they, they bow down to Baal and Ashtarot. Now, what are Baal and Ashtarot? Fascinating. That these are animals um, that are, they look like they're female, female sheep. That is what the God is. Now, where, where does the Radak get that? And this is where it's a fascinating thing that uh, we have a benefit that the Mepharshim, the Bishonim and Achronim didn't necessarily have. We have a lot of archaeological information. We have a lot of historical information that they didn't have. The Radak says Ashtarot. I don't know. What is an Ashtarot? So he looks and says, oh, there's a Pasuk in the Torah that says Ashtarot. It refers to what? It refers to female sheep. Must be that female sheep are Ashtarot. Therefore, it's a God of female sheep. But we now know that what are Baal and Ashtarot? Baal is the storm god, and Ashtarot is the female goddess of fertility. 
if you do a little bit of research on her, you'll find out that she is a very powerful god. She actually, um, it, as a Kanani god, she would then morph, she morphs in down the road, because a lot of the gods are borrowed from one to the other. She becomes Aphrodite and then Venus. That is where we find her. She is this powerful, um, attractive um, woman figure, and she is the goddess of fertility. So the Jewish people, they take these gods upon themselves. Now, here, here's the problem. It makes total sense that the Jews would want to worship these gods because this is what the, war, the local people were worshiping. And why, were they, why were they worshiping these gods? It's clear. It's clear why they were worshiping these gods. Because you live in a land, Ruah Singer, poor guy that I spent the day with, amazing idea. He said, that this land, the land that we're that we're going to, is not like Eretz Mitzrayim. That you could you could um, you could give your field um, food. You can grow your field. How do you do it with your your feet with your foot? You move your foot, and the water comes in. Then it goes all the way down. It irrigates all the fields. God says to us, "Listen, this is the plan." If you worship God, if you love God with your heart and your soul, God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you rain. In the land of Israel, you need rain. How do you get rain? You can get rain by worshiping Hashem, by being, by maintaining fidelity to God. If you do that, You'll have rain. And you're going to have plenty, plenty of grass. There'll be what to feed your animals, and you will eat and be full. Problem is, the Jewish people say, oh, What do we want to do this? It's got to be a way around it. It's got to be a shortcut. That's hard. 613 mitzvahs, dedication to God. That's hard. Our local neighbors seem to have this better way. What do they do? They pray. They pray to their Baal, their Ashtarot. They do all kinds of actions to God to their gods. The thing is that it's pretty perverse. Child, children, child sacrifice, prostitutes in their, in their uh, temples. It's more attractive. It sounds better than all these don't do this, don't do that, you have to do this, you have to do that. Do anything. Bring a sacrifice. Sometimes it's child sacrifice. Often everybody sacks, points out. Who are the children that are being sacrificed? Not your children. It's orphans. It's people that have no protection. Those are the people that are being sacrificed. Says God. This is what, this is what you want? No, by Ayim Shamoah. The Jewish people don't do it. And that really is what Sefer Shotim is all about. The fact is that the Jewish people pass up on these way too many times. And because of that, what ends up happening is we are led down this very, very, very slippery slope. And it's not a great path. And this path is a path to suffering and destruction. If you want to look and see where it really manifests itself, take it to the very end. The very last story, Pilegish Begiva, very likely did not happen in the place at the very end of the Sefer. The fact is Pinchas is still alive. It will be 300 some odd years later. Hard to believe that Pinchas was still alive. But the Jewish people bookend the safer. They start off by being on a high level and seeing it, the erosion. Where do they end off in the end? Blackish we're going to spend a lot of time in that story. And when we spend time in that story, one of the things we'll note is that the Jewish people actually, uh, and the story itself is reflective of it, 
the Jewish people seem to be stone-like. That, that's, that there are literal references, cultural references. The story just feels like stone. You believe it? That's where the Jewish people go. And then they end up in civil war. That's how far they've fallen. So let's see. Let's see the Magal, or called the Gilgal Hashoftim. It starts with Pasuk Jewish people suffered. They fell out of the good graces of God. God promised us. This is the story of Sefer Dvarim. Hashem says, you don't do this. You don't keep my mitzvot. You don't do what you have to do. I'm going to punish you. It happened. It happened pretty badly. God brings shoftim. What's a shofet? Not really a judge. They're military leaders, political leaders, religious leaders. They varied from shofet to the shofet. No shofet is the same. No shofet is dealing with the same issues that the Jewish people are dealing with. But by but the Jewish people didn't even listen to the shoftim. And they strayed so far, so far off the path of proper and good intentions and actions. That's where the Jewish people went. And then God would bring a shofet. And the show of God would be with the shofet. And he would save them. As long as the Shofet was alive. And they would take, they'd be comforted. Their crying would stop and their, and their suffering would end. But when the Shofet would die, and when the Shofet died, they would go back to the same destructive path. And bad things would happen once again. And God would be angry at the Jewish people. God would say, listen to my mitzvot. Listen to what I asked you to do. Then I also, I won't stand behind you. I won't help you. I won't take care of you. This is all a test to the Jewish people to see where they keep the derech Hashem. He did it. They did not fall in the hands of Yoshua. These were the enemies that did not fall in the hands of Yoshua. Because of that, the Jewish people would continue to be beat up by them time and time and time again. So we have at least two, maybe more, former fifth grade Navi teachers in our group that work with, learn with us on a weekly basis. This should be something that you all are very familiar with. But this is how it works. And those of you that remember Navi from fifth grade also, it's, it's a big circle. The Jewish people sin. What is their sin? Idolatry. It's always idolatry. God brings a punishment. What is the punishment? It's an oyev. Sometimes the oyev is local. Sometimes the oyev is far away. Sometimes perhaps even at the very end of the Sefer, the oyev is internal. It's we are the enemy. And what happens? Now, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to disagree. It's the best picture I found. It says the word tshuva, chinuch.org. We appreciate their contributions for our, our, our learning today. But it's not tshuva. It's really more crying. They, they cry out to God. And that's, that's the motif of Parak Bet, bochim. They cry out. They don't change their ways. But it is this animal-like instinct of, ah, help me. And what happens? God brings a Yeshua. 
What is the Yeshua? The Yeshua is the Shofet. And then what happens? The Shofet dies. When the Shofet dies, they go back to where they started. And that is once again sin. And then Onish. And then so they do, they cry and something good happens. Yeshua, they're saved and the Shofet dies. And this will continue cycling through all the Shofet outside of Abimelech. Abimelech is obviously the only one. There's nothing to speak about him. There's no, there's no Yeshua. It's not a Shofet. He's really just tyrant. That is our Sefer. And so we ask, why do we start off with Yeshua? It's so clear. Why do we start off with Pinchas? I think that's clear also. Sefer Shoftim is telling us this is where we should be. This is who you had. You had the Yoshua. And Yoshua is replaced by this Canaan. But even after this Canaan, we're going to meet some pretty special, um, some pretty special Shoftim. Talmidei Chachamim. Tremendous tzaddikim. And Pinchas. Pinchas looms large there. And yet you couldn't get your stuff together. Couldn't figure it out. Keep sinning. Why? Barur. Because what did the Jewish people do? The Jewish people opted Lamas. They could have gotten rid of the, the, the nations, the local people. They said, hey, listen, you know what? Taxes are good. I don't have the stomach to kill any more people. Let's just make it work. It's fine. But what happens? The next one. And the next one, and the next one. And we're going to see that spiritually, the Jewish people do fall pretty far down, such that when it's all over, our Shoftim are not Atniel ben Knaz, potential leader of the Jewish people, could have made a case to be instead of Yehoshua, Devorah, and Neviah. But we have some really questionable leaders at the end. That is really the Parag Aleph Bet. Um, introduction to Sefer Shoftim, which provides us with this opportunity to look at what could have been and what ends up being. Next week, we'll, we'll continue with Paragimel, where we will meet the first of the Shoftim, and we will see some of the sinning of the Jewish people. Thank you once again for joining us. A wonderful week, and keep walking in the ways of the practice.